Warriors World Champions. The Anaheim Ducks are the Stanley Cup champions. Pitch swinging. Oh, and first pitch crushing. Oh, man. Lean into it. Zegers here. He can Oh, look at this. Oh, he just Welcome to the second episode of the Catelicast, and I'm just going to start this off really quick. I have to give myself a pat on the back. I have to give myself a major pat on the back. So, in the first episode, I said, now it took me a while to get to this conclusion, but in the first episode, I said that the Angels should cut, release, DFA, Justin Upton, whatever term you want to use. And sure enough, about a couple days later, it happens. Uh, Justin Upton has been DFA'd by the Angels. Nobody in their right mind is going to pick up that contract. So no, they couldn't trade him. No, nobody is going to pick him up. He will become a free agent. And honestly, that's fine. $28 million uh, off the books now they still have to pay him and so that money still counts on the well it doesn't really count on the payroll but he still will get the 28 million dollars from the angels but at the end of the day i mean does it really matter like i said before in the first episode they had to do that with albert pujols and justin upton while he's a great player he is no albert pujols he is no legend of the game he's not a first ballot hall of famer he's not even close to becoming a hall of famer in my opinion Maybe somebody out there can argue that Justin Upton is a Hall of Famer. I highly doubt it. But yeah, they had to release him. They had to cut him. Both Brandon Marsh, or actually no, all three, Brandon Marsh, Joe Adele, as well as uh, Taylor Ward have had amazing spring trainings. And um, they are going to make the big league roster, as they should. I mean, they all three of those guys deserve to make the big league roster. And uh, we just have to be excited and see which of the two separate themselves from the other one, and then they will be the starting uh, left fielder and right fielder because I guess Mike Trout, he doesn't, want to, he doesn't want to leave center field yet. And while I think Mike Trout should move to left field, um, you know what, it's Mike Trout. Uh, if, as long as he's healthy, I guess you got to put him at, keep putting him out in center field. So with that out of the way, uh, the main topic I really wanted to talk about for the Angels section of the Catelicast is Noah Syndergaard, his first start at the Big A. Yes, it's an exhibition. It's technically a spring training game, but it was against the Dodgers uh, A lineup. Minus Freddie Freeman, they pretty much had everybody else in there, uh, including Cody Bellinger, and that's, that's a conversation for a different time. But I just wanted to pull up some stats from Baseball Savant, and I, I took some notes as well during the game, but I mean, Noah Syndergaard, he looked... He looked like Thor. He looked like how he was in his glory days with the Mets, and it was unbelievable. So he throws that sinker, two-seamer. Baseball Savant classifies it as a sinker. I think it has, to me personally, it has more um, lateral movement, but I guess it's still considered a sinker. Um, he threw that a lot. I was kind of surprised. I thought he would actually throw more just regular four-seam fastballs, but the sinker was moving so well. Uh, he had 24% whiffs on those so 33 swings he had eight whiffs and i mean guys were just stymied by that sinker it was freaking awesome it was awesome to see oh sorry no 
that's not eight whiffs, sorry. It was two whiffs on the sinker. I actually had four, my bad, sorry. It was four whiffs on the four-seam fastball. I uh, just read it wrong a little bit here on Baseball Savant. My apologies. But the main thing that I really want to talk about, though, is his velocity. So um, pretty, pretty much he was kind of just throwing the, the four-seamer and the sinker at almost the same velocity. And it was just, I mean, it was, it was freaking fun to watch. Like, just throwing having both pitches at the same velocity i mean the hitter has no idea what's going to come up right you know they don't know if it's just going to be a straight inline fastball they don't know if there's all of a sudden going to have some late movement to it and so they are just going to be super confused uh at the plate and so i just want to reference my notes really quick so yeah he started off with a high heat pretty early great great movement on the sinker struck out mookie Betts, and he threw so many of his other pitches we saw a lot of change-ups a lot more curveballs than I thought uh, he would throw you through. 12 curveballs, so that ended up being 90, 9, 19%, yeah, 19% of the pitches he threw in that outing. And just, I, I was surprised. I didn't think he'd throw that many curveballs. Uh, threw a few sliders as well, but he was just throwing everything he could in his arsenal, not relying only on the fastball and just mixing pitches so well. So many counts, he would start off with off speed. You know, he'd throw a curveball, he'd throw a slider, and I mean, they were just confused at the plate. And then he would kind of just, just do reverse psychology. When there would be two strikes, then he would throw a fastball inside, a four-seam fastball inside. And those Dodger hitter, man, those Dodgers hitters, they were confused at the plate. You can tell. Uh, really, the only one I don't think that was really confused at all was Max Muncy. But, I mean, he's just one of the most patient guys in baseball. Can't really, you know, there's not much you can do about that. It's baseball, right? But... Another thing that I thought was pretty incredible with uh, Syndergaard's performance, though, is the tandem with Max Stassi and his elite framing. I mean, having that, that late action on the sinker, combine that with Stassi's framing, I mean, it's unreal. Because Stassi, you know, he sets it up perfectly, right? Um, he sets it up with the outside of the ball. And then he catches it. He can bring that ball into the strike zone. And especially with the sinker, with how much uh, late movement it already has, you combine that with a guy who knows how to frame, is one of the best in the bigs at framing the ball, and you are just going to get so many more strikes than you probably normally would. And if the, especially if the umpire has a big strike zone, I mean, you're in luck because then now the hitters are really going to be thrown off. And I was just so, and again, it's spring training. Technically, it's an exhibition game. But I thought Syndergaard was just incredible. And I've wanted him to be the number two starter. It really doesn't matter between two and three, him and Patrick Sandoval. I mean, it's really just a title. But I think he should be the number two starter. He pitched, I mean, he pitched like an ace. He pitched like the ace that he was in New York. And um, with the news that he won't have an innings limit on him, uh, if he has a Thor-like year this year, it'll be, it'll be pretty... Pretty interesting to see what's going to happen in the offseason. He's making, what, $21 million or something like that? And if he's getting $21 million off of Tommy John surgery, is Ari Moreno willing to pony up and pay top dollar, like $35 million for Thor? I don't know. Personally, I doubt it, but you'll see. And he loves it in Anaheim. He's, uh, he tweeted that he loves that he loves it out here. He's wearing you know the Angels headband and all that. And he's all in with the Angels. And I think... I think that's something that's been really missing, too, from this team. Like, you need a guy who, especially an outsider, who's all in already on the Angels, and he's only been on the team for a couple months now. I mean, you know, I just, 
I everything about Noah Syndergaard. I love this signing so far. Yes, it could blow up in my face, but so far, uh, so far, I've been right on the only hot take I've had. And just one more thing, I want to talk about Syndergaard with his spin rate. I won't go into this really quick because I'm not a big expert on it, but his sinker spin rate was up exceptionally from what it normally is. Um, I believe it's a plus minus of up 21 on baseball savant. Everything else, the spin rate was down tremendously, but. Again, also his velocity was down. Um, he talked about after the game how he wasn't throwing at 100%. And, I mean, you can tell. Right? You guys remember. Everybody remembers when Thor was averaging, like, something ridiculous, like 97.8 or something like that, average on the fastball. I don't think he's really going to hit that velocity. He, I don't think he's going to be averaging no 97.8. But if he can, you know, stay what he was in this start and average, average at about, like, 94.7 or even 90 low 95s if he averages that and plus keeps the sinker velocity and the forcing velocity the same he's going to be golden this year um, another pitching standout which i want to talk about really quick is jimmy herget um, that curveball is disgusting um yeah not much not much really to add to be totally honest i didn't really watch the game as soon as thor came out i was like that's all i really wanted to see and that's hey that was the price of admission right there uh shohei otani Solo shot off of Walker Bueller. What can you say? Shohei Otani looks primed and uh, ready to have a repeat performance. Joe Adele had decent, had very, very good contact. Taylor Ward also hit a home run. So Taylor Ward like changed his stance up a little bit. I yeah, I think it was last year. He changed his stance up. Uh, it's more of an uppercut swing, and I mean, I just love his new approach. He just he has so much more confidence now when he sets up to the plate, and it'll be interesting to see that battle between Ward, Marsh, and uh, Joe Adele. So I don't really know. To be honest, I don't really have a preference. Um, I think Joe Adele has been hyped up more than Marsh, and maybe I think maybe I personally like Marsh a little bit more just because of the speed and like you know he doesn't really he has better plate. This a lot of people have better plate discipline than Joe Adele, but. You know, with three guys vying for those two corner outfield spots, hey, all we need is one of them to just succeed. And speaking of those three of Joe Adele, uh, Taylor Ward, and Brandon Marsh, please, for the love of God, have one of them hit leadoff. Please, please, please have them hit leadoff. Otani at leadoff, that's fine. But with the Otani rule now, I mean, he doesn't need to hit leadoff all the time anymore. Um, because think about it. If you can get somebody uh, with the speed of Joe Adele or Marsh, now Ward isn't the fastest guy, so maybe this wouldn't apply to him. But if you can have Adele or Marsh's speed on, like say if they get you know basic base hit, uh, a walk or something like that, they're they're on first base, right? Well, the pitcher is going to be nervous because you have elite speed at first base now, and you know with Joe Madden, right? You know play like it's nineteen eighty five, they're going to be run, they're going to be running on the base pass trying to create as much havoc as they can, playing old school like uh, 2002 Angels baseball, right? And then you have that speed combined with Otani coming up at the plate. I mean, that pitcher's going to be sweating. He's going to be so freaking nervous because, hey, if he, make, if he makes a mistake, you know, it's going to be a home run. And even if he hits a ground ball, it's not a guaranteed double play. You might, you might be safe everywhere. You don't know with that kind of speed because Otani can run as well. And so... If you just get that pitcher nervous right out of the gate, and I understand, you know, there's part of a psychological thing. If you have Otani as the first hitter the pitcher has to face, they're going to be nervous. But think about it this way as well, right? 
So say if you have Adele or Marsh or Ward or whoever, right, of those three leading off, and the pitcher throws a meatball, they throw a mistake, and then all of a sudden, you know, one of those three, they take it deep, it's a home run, Angels are up one nothing. Okay, so now the Angels are already winning one nothing, and now you have to deal with Shohei Otani coming up to the plate. I mean, it just, it doesn't end. And then it just, I think it makes your lineup that much deeper. Uh, you can have Trout hitting third. You know, still keep him behind Otani, so you have Otani speed in front of Trout, and then Rendon, and then Jared Walsh. I mean, I don't know. That to me, that would be the right way for the Angels to go about this. I think that you really need to give either Marsh or Adele, specifically those two, because Taylor Ward doesn't really have the speed that Marsh and Adele do. But you just need to determine if you're gonna have you know those two guys in the lineup, you need to have one of them hitting leadoff. I don't understand the point of burying them like in the seventh or eighth spot because then they're gonna have them do things like bunt and stuff. And like, no, these guys aren't here to bunt. They're here to swing the bat, swing the bat, run like hell around the bases, cause some havoc out there. And I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully they listen to me. They probably won't. Uh, Joe Madden's pretty set with Otani hitting leadoff and. I'm not saying that's a bad move. Like, that's not the worst thing in the world. Obviously, it worked out well for Otani, right? But I don't know. I would just like to see an extra dimension. Like, does anybody remember when Cole Calhoun was a leadoff hitter, when he was leading off ahead of Trout? And just how many leadoff home runs that guy had. He had, like, something like 16 or 15 leadoff home runs that year. And then all of a sudden, boom, Angels are up one nothing, And then you still have to deal with Mike Trout. You still have to deal with, with uh, Pujols, who was still – he was decent at that point. He wasn't – total train wreck just yet but um anthony rendon i've been very critical of rendon this is probably the last thing or a couple more things i want to talk about with the angels but uh rendon hit a home run uh slice it down the line just fair or actually no it was it was fair pretty it was no it was a fair ball i i have to i have to give credit to rendon it wasn't in question of whether it was going to be foul or not but uh rendon looked great at the plate um Still, though, I wasn't a big fan of his bat speed. Uh, there were a few pitches that Bueller had, like in the 95 range, and then he's just barely foul tipping it. Like, come on, come on, man. Like, you need to ca at least catch up to 95. Because if you're just fouling back 95, what happens when these guys are throwing 97 to 100 at you? I mean, you're not even, even going to make any contact on that. So, hopefully, with Rendon, he can figure things out. Um, I have been a lot harsher on Rendon than some other people. I know there are many Angel fans who are going to overreact, see that Rendon home run, see it was off Walker Bueller, and then just say, oh, he's back, everybody. He's going to be what he was in Washington. Like, I, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. There are just some things with Rendon where I question whether he still has that ability. Those injuries took a large toll out of him. He did make a nice play at third base, but... I don't know with about Anthony Rendon. He is going to be, of course, the X factor, the wild card for this Angels team. Um, like I said before in the last episode, if he plays 120, 100, 130 games, I think at that point, no matter what his stats are, unless they're like terrible and he's below the Mendoza line or something like that, as long as he can play 120, 130 games, that's a success for me. Um, so just kind of looking at the Angels' uh, oh, potential opening day roster, it hasn't been released yet because... The season hadn't started yet. Um, unfortunately, I don't, I don't know. Just reading a lot of Joe Madden's comments and listening to some of his press conferences, how he might want to have uh, Jose Rojas on the on the roster. I mean, I don't, I don't understand. I think the infield is solid. If you have, uh, let's see, 
if you have uh, Walsh at first base, uh, and then you have the platoon, right, of Duffy and uh, Tyler Wade at second base, which fantastic. I love me some Tyler Wade. Um, and then you have Fletch at shortstop. I've said it for a long time. I think Fletch should be the full-time shortstop. If they weren't going to sign anybody, I mean, I wasn't too concerned with having Fletch step in as the full-time shortstop. I don't know if the hitting will still be like it was in uh, 2019 or 2020, but if he continues to play solid defense at shortstop, hey, that's good enough for me. Um, then, you, of course, you'll have Anthony Rendon at third base and then Jack Mayfield as well as like your super platoon utility guy in the infield. And then I'm not sure, like, can Taylor Ward still play third base? Because, right, he was drafted as a catcher. He failed at that. Uh, they moved him over to third and first base. Um, didn't really hit so well still. And then, you know, they moved him in the outfield, I believe it was last year. And then he starts to hit, change his swing. So, I don't know, can he still play third base? If that's the case, I mean, you don't need Rojas. Set, leave him in AAA. I'm sorry. Yes, he's from Anaheim, and that's a great story, but... I mean, are we in the business for great stories? No, we're here to win. We are here to win. And you can't just be giving out free roster spots to guys because, oh, they have a SoCal connection or an Orange County connection. Like, no, that's not, this isn't Little League, right? Um, so I personally, I don't think they should have Rojas um, on the Major League roster. I think they should just leave him in AAA and uh, save that spot for an extra, extra reliever or an extra starter because I don't know. I, Having Lorenzen as a fifth starter, I don't have a lot of confidence in him lasting as a starter. You know, maybe does Berea come back in and he has to start, or does Griffin Canning, when he's off the 60-day IL or whatever he's on, will Griffin Canning step up to the step up to the plate and become a decent pitcher? I highly doubt it. Um, and I don't know. I I look at this Angels roster. It is good, but is it playoff worthy? I don't think so. I, I think I think this is a this is going to be a much improved Angels team though. But everybody who is kind of, you know, looking at the spring results and saying, okay, you know, this team, they got some wins, they got some momentum going into the season. And momentum is great. You know, I think that I can't remember who it was, but somebody said on Twitter that it's better to come come into the season like, you know, on a on a good start instead of like stagnating. And, you know, that I think that has a big psychological effect, but I mean, spring training, is there really a big correlation? Not necessarily to a successful regular season. I mean, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. Nobody really has the exact answer, right? And so while I like this Angels roster, do I like it more than the Seattle Mariners? I mean, I can't definitively say yes. And if the freaking, oh, those annoying Texas Rangers, if the Rangers didn't improve so much, like if they only got one of Seager or only one of Simeon, then I wouldn't really be as afraid of them. Uh, if they didn't get, uh, if they didn't get Gray, John Gray, the pitcher, or is it Joe Gray? Joe Gray, John Gray, I can't remember. But like, if they didn't get him, if they didn't upgrade a little bit, I mean, if they were still ta in the tank mode and just kind of giving up on the season, then I would say, okay, you know, I think the Angels can. Uh, I think the Angels might have a shot at the playoffs. But now that Texas isn't really a doormat. And then this Oakland is just going to, uh, Oakland's just going to take their take uh, take Texas's spot last year as like the complete doormat team, right? I mean, Oakland that's a that's a joke right now, but I I just I don't know I don't know if I see the Angels as a competitor. Cleveland is still I think a decent team. It does help having a weak division, 
But I mean, and you look at the AL East. I mean, Toronto. Toronto improved like crazy. Uh, I do have a love affair with the Blue Jays. I love everything that they're doing over there. I think they're going to be a phenomenal team this year. And then you still have the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the freaking Tampa Bay Rays are still there. And so it's tough. Like Even with expanded playoffs, you have one division that has three, basically three playoff teams or three teams that could make the playoffs, especially in an expanded format. And so I don't know. It's... It's going to be tough. Like, do I do I think the Angels? Um, do I think they break over five hundred this year? Yes. So I think the Angels. Let's see. I think the Angels can go. Let's let me see if my math is correct. I think the Angels can go eighty four and seventy eight. Eighty four and seventy eight is a big improvement compared to. Um, prior recent years with the angels but i just i don't i don't know if it's enough to make the playoffs i can't definitively come on here on the show and throw my takes around for whatever whatever they're worth you know probably only like two people listen to the show but even though they'll have a winning record and they'll be above 500 again this is my prediction it'll be a few games over 500 i just history's not on their side and until this team makes the playoffs Honestly, I can't come on here and I can't tell people the Angels will make the playoffs. I will predict the Angels will make the playoffs. I don't understand why there are some other publications and other people who are saying, oh, this is going to be a playoff team. For sure, book it. The playoff team, 90 wins. I mean, the starting pitching is still a lot of questions. And I don't have a lot of confidence in Lorenzen. Uh, Suarez is a question mark. Detmers has looked good in spring, but he's still a question mark. It's his first full big league season. I mean, he's a rookie. Right? They drafted him in they drafted him a couple of years ago. And so I don't know. We'll see with the Angels. I am cautiously optimistic with the Angels this year. I think it will be a fun season to watch no matter what. I hopefully I'm right about this. But I think the days of like them giving up in the end of July and just having to slog through August and September, and to be totally honest for me, I just checked out at that point. I just wanted to watch Otani and that's it. I think that, you know, if the team is relatively healthy and the starting pitching kind of holds up, like as long as Otani, Thor, and Sandoval are solid and as advertised, I think the Angels can make it to 80 wins and maybe at the worst settle around 500, you know, like 81 or 81, 81, 81, or maybe like 80, 79 wins, like at the worst. I think that'll be okay as long as they don't have any dramatic injuries, but it's baseball. You never know. I just, I'm sorry. Angels fans, how you halo honks out there. Um, I just can't say they're a playoff team. They have to prove it to me. Show me you can make the playoffs first, and then I can say um, you will be a playoff team. And then I can predict you'll make like the playoffs every year and go on the World Series run. But I have to see it first to believe it. So, done with the Angels, done with the halo talk. And now, wow, let's move on to the Anaheim Ducks. First win in a long time. Hallelujah. Holla frickin' Luya. The Anaheim Ducks they broke their 11-game losing streak. 11-game losing streak. I think that if they lost one more game, they either would have tied the franchise record with 12 losses or broke it with 12 losses in a row. I can't exactly remember which one it is. But if you couldn't beat the Arizona Coyotes in their dump of a barn, I mean... Gila River Arena is not the nicest. Is not the nicest uh, NHL arena. It you walk around in it if you haven't been there. It looks like a it feels like a minor league arena. Um, it feels very similar to the uh, 
think it's the Toyota Center, whatever the whatever they call the arena that the Ontario Rain play in. I mean, it feels like that. Um, it is in a cool place, though. It is right across the street from the uh, Arizona Cardinals State Farm Stadium, and they have like a cool outdoor like plaza thing with a movie theater and restaurants and stores and stuff. And that's kind of cool. But I mean, that arena is just, I mean, it's, it's the Arizona Coyotes. What do you expect? And they're going to be going to the ASU new arena that's coming up. And that is a freaking joke. That team is a joke. I don't know why the NHL, I don't know why Bettman doesn't want to admit that he's wrong. Arizona is a failed experiment, but you know, NHL is just, probably just by far the most corrupt of the four major sports but anyways the ducks they won um it was it was a great game now you know we'll talk about that whole jay beagle troy terry nonsense because uh, i have i do have some opinions on that and i mean everything's been kind of said already but since this is a podcast about the angels and the ducks i guess i'm obligated to talk about it um yeah i mean it was a it was a great game it was a great game aside from all of that um Ducks started off scoring really early, and um, it was kind of surprising because when you like Lundstrom scores and then Mayhew scores like pretty quickly after that, it's like you kind of just jump forward and you go, "Oh, wait a minute, hey, is this gonna happen?" Like I know Arizona is a terrible team, but is this gonna happen? Um, I love Mayhew. I think he's like like he's what you need like in terms of like these fourth line like all effort guys. You need guys like that on your team that actually like can contribute and can actually like show that they're NHL players. Like, we can't be having, no offense, we can't be having these AHL-level players in the fourth line. Like, I understand it's a rebuilding team, but getting a guy like Mayhew in versus some of the other uh, some of the other forwards we've had in this team this year, I think that's a, it's been a great addition. So, good on GM Pat Verbeek. And then Trevor Zekers. I mean, this guy is un I mean, I, you know... You can't even, like, it's speechless just watching, like, just the insane things that this guy does in the middle of games. And even on the plays where he doesn't score or he passes the puck really well and the guy, like, you know, the guy he passes it to doesn't score or it goes off their stick or something, he is just, like, on a new, completely different level, just sees the puck, just sees, sees things before they happen. I mean... When they drafted him, I was like, oh, this is the closest thing that the Ducks have had to Paul Korea in a long time. And I think it's probably different because of, like, the difference in uh, the eras which Paul Korea played and Trevor Zegers play. Like, you know, skill is a lot more accepted nowadays, and uh, guys are more willing to show off their skill. But, I mean, just the things that this guy does in the ice is unreal. Um, tries it between the leg shot. It doesn't work. Um, that's okay, keep trying it again, kid. And then the puck bounces right to him, and he's lucky because he's skilled. He's skilled enough to get the puck in great situations like that. And then he just thinks, oh, hey, there's this gaping hole on the other side of the net, so I'm just going to do the Michigan really quick. He, he picks the puck up, flips it around, goes around Sonny Milano, who, I mean, the crazy thing is that Milano, like, him and Zegers have amazing chemistry, but Milano knows, like, oh, wait a minute, Zegers is going to do the Michigan. Like, hey, I got to duck, I got to bend out of the way. And thank God that Sonny Milano isn't the biggest guy in the world. And Zegers just tucks it in for his second Michigan goal in the same season. I mean, that's just unreal. So, realistically, I don't think Zegers will win the Calder. Um, again, I am more of a pessimist, unfortunately. I just, I don't see... Zegers winning the Calder. I mean, he might. It would be the first time the NHL really gives the Ducks a, a favor in a long time. But, I, you know, if he if he wins the Calder, great. If he doesn't, I'm not going to complain about it. I think Cider 
uh, from Detroit. I think he deserves it. He's an incredible defenseman at that age. But just the kind of stuff that Trevor Zegers does, I mean, that that is you need to go to the Honda Center every single Ducks game just to watch that. And I, I hope fan attendance starts to increase over time. Yes, I know this team is bad, but if you just want to just go and hang out with your friends and see Trevor Zegers do cool stuff, I mean, that's worth the price of admission right there. I understand, you know, things like gas and stuff is really expensive, but... Go watch the Ducks. They're a fun, exciting young team. Sure, they might not win, but hey, you know, it'll just make the winning times that much better when that happens in a couple of years. Okay, the Ducks are up 5 nothing, And so there are some people out there who are saying that, you know, Zegris, he's doing this stuff on purpose, or like that's, well, he is doing it on purpose, but that, like, that's all he's out there to do is to do between the leg shots and do the Michigan of the lacrosse style goals. I mean, okay, it, are those all of his shot attempts? Like, look it up. Are all of his shot attempts, you know, break down the film, right, bit by bit by bit, and t- come back and tell and tell me if all of his shot attempts are between the legs or all of his passes are between the legs or backhand no-look sauce passes, right? Or is he trying to do the Michigan every single game? I mean, sure, he does it probably more often than some people, but... You know, a large percentage of NHL players go their whole careers without ever scoring a Michigan goal. It's only probably happened less than 20 times in the whole league's history. So keep that in mind. He's not out there trying to actively embarrass people. He's just that skilled. And if you, you know, if you are embarrassed by it, I mean, like, try to stop it. And so that goes into the whole Troy Terry, Jay Beagle fiasco. Um Ducks are driving in the net. It's they're up five nothing. It's towards the end of the game, and with five minutes left, I mean, I kind of don't understand why uh, the first line is still out there. Uh, I kind of don't really understand the whole meaning behind that. Uh, Dallas Aikens, you know, he he'll bench he'll bench like Troy he'll or not Troy Terry he'll bench Trevor Zegers at the weirdest times. But then when they're up five nothing, when like that's when you know the goon the goon squad comes out, especially in the NHL games. I mean, you know that someone's going to be fighting eventually. I mean, Carrick fought someone earlier in the earlier in the game when this game is five nothing. It's out of hand. Arizona, they're mad. You know, they're getting they're getting beat bad yet again in front of nobody, nobody but Ducks fans because they have no fans in Arizona. But I mean, they're frustrated, right? Every every hockey game, every NHL game that you go to, and it's a blowout. It's five nothing, six nothing, six one, whatever. And it's like in the last five minutes, you know a fight's gonna break out. So what are what are the first line skill players doing out there? I don't know. Uh, drive the net, take a shot. Uh, goalie covers it up, and Zegers. And one thing that I, I really like about Zegers though is that he's also like he's not afraid to like you know mix things up a little bit. Like you know he'll poke for the loose pucks here and there, and that's kind of that. Ducks style, that agitating style of hockey that I know many people who play against the Ducks probably don't like, but I'm a Ducks fan. I'm all over that kind of stuff. And he does that and he might need to he might have to cut down on this because he's kind of he's really lucky he didn't get injured by that Jay Beagle cross check. Um so so Nick Ritchie, right, former duck, he got suspended a game for, you know, trying to slash or I think he did slash Shattenkirk like the head or up high. He got a game for that. So Jay Beagle comes up with a cross check and you know, I think that that what Zegers did with trying to poke the puck when it clearly wasn't loose, I think that clearly does warrant some kind of retaliation, obviously. Um uh, like a like a slash or a cross check, but I mean, like a charging cross check, like what Beagle did to Zegers, and Beagle's like twice Zegers' size. I mean, he easily could have got hurt on that. I don't know how Beagle didn't get any uh, 
anything from the uh, Department of Player Safety, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. He cross-drags Trevor Zegers probably way harder than he should, and then, you know, all hell breaks loose, right? I mean, Fowler, right? You never see Fowler really get in the fights. He gets it. He jumps into it. Troy Terry jumps in, and, you know, right, rightfully so, right? You need to stick up for Trevor Zegers. He's your best player. And so Terry kind of jumps in. And so for those people who are saying that, that that Troy Terry, like, you know, he shouldn't expect to get lit up like he did by Jay Beagle, I mean, if you do, in my opinion, if you do jump into a fray like that, like, there is a chance of you just getting beat up. And while that does happen, and Jay Beagle just totally pummeled the crap out of Troy Terry and just, like, totally beat him to a pulp, I mean, he needed to get stitches right after. He still hasn't played yet. Um, he needs to just take some time off. That was brutal. But Troy Terry indicates that he doesn't, he's, he doesn't want to fight. He just wants to, you know, get in a scrum. But Jay Beagle doesn't know that. He's thinking he he's not thinking at all. I mean, if you're already gonna cross check Trevor Zegris and like put all your weight in the back of him, in his back when he's not looking at you and he has his back turned, I mean, that's dirty already. So, you know, Jay Beagle's already seeing red at this point. He's just gonna grab whoever he can and just beat them up. And then the linesman, the freaking I mean the linesman. Nobody wants to talk about this. So fighting in hockey, right, is starting to go by the wayside because the linesman, as soon as the guys drop the gloves, they're jumping into the fight and they're preventing the fight and they're trying to stop it the best they can, right? And then that's when, you know, you have the tensions that haven't they can't be spilled yet and guys are still all tense up and they still want to fight and then you know it can result in a dirty hit so if the linesman can jump in when two guys willingly want to fight how come they're just standing there with their hands up like you know like like, like they're being like they're being arrested or something what is that get jump in and defend them because clearly one guy doesn't want to fight now you know i i like i said Beagle wasn't thinking. He was going to grab whoever whoever he was going to grab at that point. I don't think he, like, you know, I don't think he actively, like, targeted Troy Terry and said, oh, I'm going to beat up Troy Terry. He was going to grab the first guy he saw and just start throwing punches. But if the linesman can step in like they can step in on two willing combatants, that probably would have prevented, you know, all the damage. Probably Terry would have got punched one or two times, but he wouldn't have needed, like, as many stitches. He wouldn't have, like, his messed up eye right now. So I think that's an epic failure by the linesman. I mean, get it together. Those ridiculous just standing there not doing anything. Um, and then Department of Player Safety not doing anything. So don't don't come to the fans and say, we're going to protect star players. Well, you know who star players are? Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry. I don't freaking care if they play for the Ducks. They are two star players. Hey, you know what? Trevor Zegers is so much of a star that you're willing to bend the rules and put him in the all-star skills competition. I was there. He wasn't an all-star, but you put him in anyway because he's that great, and things like that never happen to the Ducks. Troy Terry is an all-star. Yes, he was the last man in, but he's still an all-star, 30-goal scorer. Protect your freaking superstars. I mean, okay, maybe they're not superstars, but they're still star players. And then Jay Beagle's not going to get any – he's not even going to get a hearing, not going to get a fine, nothing. So freaking ridiculous. George Peros, I mean, get it together, man. I just – to me, I think the real ones at fault here – are the linesmen and the Department of Player Safety. How can you puff up your chest and say, we're trying to prevent not only headshots, but injuries to star players? Well, you have an injury to a star player now, so um, not much to say more about the Ducks. I mean, I just hope they can finish the season out. I hope they keep losing as much as possible. 
Um, they've lost 11 straight. Like, if they went and they just lost the rest the rest of their games, I'd be totally fine with it. Get Shane Wright on the beach as best you can. They're not going to win the draft lottery, but it's, you know, it's fun to dream, right? And just get the best player available with the, in regards to the draft. I haven't really looked at too many of the uh, prospects aside from Shane Wright because I don't have the time for it. But I'm just glad the Ducks won, and they won in convincing fashion. Blew out the Arizona Coyotes because they're – Probably one of my least favorite teams now because how much the NHL wants to blindly support them for no freaking reason, and um, yeah, I think Jay Beagle is a Jay Beagle's a scumbag, and that fight shouldn't have happened though, and it, it's not even a fight. I mean, it it was a mugging basically. The linesmen need to step in, step in when somebody isn't willing to fight. If they're gonna push around, that's a little bit different, and. I don't know. It was just a terrible look for the league, which, what else is new, right? The NHL is not great at um, trying to do great things for themselves. So, hopefully Troy Terry is okay. I think Zegers is fine. He hasn't been injured uh, from that cross-check or anything like that. But, yeah, hopefully Zegers just gives us one more highlight moment. And that's all I got for the Angels and Ducks on the Telecast. I'll see everybody in the next episode. Thank you for listening. Oh, and really quick. Um, please, please tell your friends, if they're Angels fans, if they're Ducks fans, please tell them about the show. I'd really appreciate it. I really want to uh, grow a platform and just uh, have some have some great listeners and uh, people who want to help and contribute to the show. Um, you can find us on all platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, Google, you know, Stitcher, any podcast platform that, that you can think of. We're on there. Pretty sure I'm on there. Um, and follow me on Twitter. Uh, it's Twitter handle is at Catelicast Show. At Catelicast Show. Uh, it's all one word, no different spelling, nothing like that. Just look for the logo with the Ducks and Angels logo with the microphone and the Catelicast and the Catelicast Street sign. And then the cover photo is Getzloff, Mike Trout, and Francois Beauchemin. Please um, leave a review, five stars only. Uh, thank you so much to anybody who wants to listen. I'll see you, everybody, in the next episode. Let's go Angels, and let's go Ducks.